business owners. Are you sick of dealing with those big name telecommunications companies that leave you frustrated with terrible customer service and then lock you into long-term contracts? That's why I want to introduce you to my friends over at Public Telephone Company. They are an industry-leading VOIP provider offering all-in-one business communication solutions that are completely contract-free with competitive pricing. But perhaps the best part, they're all about supporting their customers with U.S.-based customer service, and they're always willing to go the extra mile. Don't let your phone company drive you mad. Call Public Telephone Company today at 877-314-4080 or visit them at publictelephonecompany.com. That's publictelephonecompany.com. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I don't want you to protest. I don't want you to ride. I don't want you to write to your congressman because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the Russians and the crying in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You ain't heard nothing yet. Wait a minute, I tell you. I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Welcome to the David Pollock Show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the David Pollock Show. Man, do we have an exciting show for you tonight. I don't know what it is, but since I went on the air on Mondays, Tuesdays seems to be the day that all hell breaks loose around the world. Like my, I think it was my first or second show. Donald Trump was indicted in New York. Now Donald Trump's about to be indicted federally tomorrow. Like, I couldn't have planned it any better, honestly. So, you know, kudos to me for picking the best night. Now, I have, we got a lot to talk about tonight. I know everybody is talking about the Trump indictment. Everybody, and rightfully so. It might be the biggest moment in American history, and it's happening right now. But tonight, we're not just talking about it. We're analyzing it. And I'm joined by a whole lineup of great people who's going to join me tonight. We have a former DOJ prosecutor. We have a former FBI agent we, and a federal whistleblower. We have a constitutional lawyer all joining a panel tonight to talk to you about all aspects of what's going on with the Trump indictment. I'm also joined by the American adversary's own Chris Hart. He's stuck around to be on my show. Welcome to the uh, David Pollack show, Chris. Always a always a privilege. Yeah, no, it's awesome. You always let me on your show and let me promo. And it's I, I'm excited to have you here because you ask great questions. You have great analysis. And I think it'll be awesome. Um, to join us tonight and and talk to the panel. So I won't keep I won't I'm going to get right into because we have a lot to cover. But first, I, I want to make a note. This is a seven year anniversary of the poll shooting. Um, that is a local to us here in Orlando. Um, it was a tragedy and we're always remembering the victims there. And so I don't want to let all the crazy news overshadow that event. And I have to tell you, so I, I interject that yeah. the FBI blew that case too. Yeah, well, you know, it, it, you, you remember the, the yeah. perpetrator's wife's mm -hmm. father yeah. was an FBI informant. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Yeah, exactly. Like, you Sorry. Know. No, you're right. You're yeah. right, though. And then and I want to tell you guys someday, someday when world history isn't being created here in the United States. Uh, we're going to talk about fun stuff like aliens. Apparently aliens are everywhere. I don't know if you, Las Vegas. Now there's this video of aliens and these people talk like, did you see this? There's, yeah. 
I, I mean, we gotta have to talk about aliens. I mean, maybe all this Trump stuff is to is to hide the alien. I don't know. But I'm gonna get right into it, guys. I mean, there is a whole lot going on right now. I mean, we have uh, Trump's being indicted tomorrow. Um, and and here's the thing: we can't make a mistake. And I I don't mean to be like, you know, to make a big deal here, or, or I'm not being dramatic. We really are in a civil war. What's happening right now in this country, it's not your traditional type civil war. We're not, you know, making a stand at a fort in South Carolina. But what's happening right now is that the government has basically decided that somebody who's running for president is not going to be able to run for president. They're going to do everything they can to stop it. And all of the people who supported a 70 plus million of them are sitting here watching mostly in horror about what's going on in this country. Now, it might not be a civil war and I don't want there to be violence and I hope there's not. But we have somebody who's going to be the nominee of the Republican Party, potentially facing, well, it is facing federal indictment, potentially facing indictment in Georgia, already indicted in New York. The, and, and, it, and it's Joe Biden, the president of the United States Justice Department. He signed off on it. It's his Justice Department that's putting his political opponents in jail. This is not what we do in the United States. This has never happened in America's entire existence. And Trump's opponents are falling all over themselves with joy. Hillary Clinton even posted a picture of herself in, in, in a hat that said, what about her emails with this smug grin on her play, on her face? It's sick. The left, the establishment, the never Trumpers, they're all gleefully celebrating this indictment. And Gabe, we're going to take cut one here. This is Bill Barr. <laughs> yeah, right. This chief argument that comes up for the president's allies and his legal team that this should have been handled under the Presidential Records Act, not this Espionage Act charge and other federal statutes that were used here? Well, it started out under the Presidential Re Records Act and, and the archives trying to re retrieve documents that Trump had no right to have. But it quickly became clear that what the government was really worried about were these classified and very sensitive documents. I was shocked by the degree of sensitivity of these documents and how many there were, frankly. And uh, so the government's agenda was to get those, uh, protect those documents and get them out. And I think it was perfectly appropriate to do that. It was the right thing to do. Uh, and I think the counts under the Espionage Act uh, that he willfully retained those documents are solid counts. Now, I, I do think we have to wait and see what the defense uh, yeah. says. Yeah. And, and, he and deserves a defense. True, yeah. I'd like to know who showed these documents to Bill Barr that he could make such a mm -hmm. definitive definitive statement about their uh, level of security or level of importance. I wondered about that, too. Like, he's out there talking about the classified documents. But, you know, what I wanted to point out there is that Bill Barr, essentially, again, one of these establishment guys that Trump made a mistake to include, excited. Oh, yeah, sure, he's going to defense, but these are very serious. And I want to tell you guys at home, and then I'm going to go to my panel. I want to tell you guys at home, I know Bragg's case was weak in New York. Our Justice Department, they're not weak. They're skillful, and they put together a strong indictment. And it might be a witch hunt, but this indictment is a doozy. It's a strong indictment. But I do believe that Trump is stronger. And while another high-profile figure might fold under the enormity of the moment, I think Trump only grows stronger. And current, current polling is suggesting that uh, he might be occupying the White House again soon, even if he's confined to it. So I want to go ahead and bring in my panel. Now, <laughs> we have on the line three different people. and We're going to try to keep it all under control tonight because I got Chris in the studio. I got three people on the line. But this is a big, big, big day. And so we have to talk about all of these things. And I want to talk about it from as many angles as possible. So I'm going to bring in my panel and introduce them one by one. Um, my first guest, he goes by Crypto Lawyer. Uh, on uh, Twitter, he's a Twitter Spaces host. Uh, you can find him at Crypto Lawyers with a Z. Uh, welcome to my show. 
You out there, crypto lawyer? Hey, David. How are you tonight, buddy? Hey, it's awesome to talk to you on my radio show. I'm often hanging out in your Twitter spaces, and we have so much fun. And now we're live on air. Isn't it crazy? Our worlds are colliding, and it's so much fun. <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome. I'm down here in South Florida. I'm smoking a cigar. I'm just <laughs> relaxing. Trump is uh, Trump's going to be found not guilty. I'm calling it now. Uh, it out there. Either way, he's going to be not guilty, even when he pardons himself. Look, look, look I'll, yeah. I'll, t- I'll bet him the one further. I don't think this case will ever go to trial. Oh, that that's uh, a that's a bold go. prediction, Chris. We'll see about that. All right. I also have uh, Kyle Serafin. Is it Serafin? You pronounce it right? Yes, sir. That's All right. Correct. Kyle Serafin. He's a former FBI agent. He's a federal whistleblower and he's a podcaster. And you can find him at the Kyle Serafin show. Welcome to my show. How are you doing tonight? I am doing very well. Thanks for having me on, David. Oh, it's my pleasure. Now, uh, the first time I met you, we were on a Twitter space, and we look alike, apparently. And so you're like, I'm going to follow this guy just because we have the same profile picture. So I really appreciate that. I feel for you both. (laughs) And I want to bring in my third guest. (laughs) Mark is a constitutional attorney. He's barred. He practices in front of the United States Supreme Court, so we call that. He's having a Supreme Court bar. Um, He hosts the Four Boxes Diner podcast. He's a scholar, all-star. He's a publisher of uh, his newest book, Disarming Ukraine. He's been on our show before. Mark, welcome back to the David Pollack Show. We're happy to have you back. David, thanks for having me on. A lot to talk about tonight. A lot of exciting stuff. I'm looking forward to hearing from our uh, fellow guests as well. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get right into it. I mean, he, he, I mean, there's a lot to talk about. So let's go right into the indictment first, right? Let's start at the brass bones of it. I'm sure I don't know if everybody's had a chance to read the indictment at home. It's forty something pages. It's not too bad. It kind of just repeats itself a bunch of times. But what it says is Trump's a bad guy. He did some bad things. And uh, what do y'all think about the indictment? Do you think it's a strong indictment? I know a crypto lawyer you were talking about, you think the indictment's pretty serious. What's your thoughts on it? Yeah, I do. Um, Usually DOJ, and I can tell you because I'm with DOJ, um, but, uh, well, I'm back with DOJ, let's put it like that. I was with them prior. But I can tell you most indictments uh, are not this particular. And uh, to everyone else on the panel, great to see you tonight. I can't wait to hear from our constitutional lawyer and Kyle, uh, super smart guy. And... um, you know, what, what I can say is that this indictment is very particularized. They took their time to go through it. Uh, they took their time to go back to a date that was predating the Mar-a-Lago raid, which I'm not sure if people noticed. So they went back to January of 21, and, um, you know, they did not group everything in together as one charge. They went document by document. You know, that's DOJ's way of tossing things against the wall, hoping to get a guilty out of one, maybe not the other. But, uh, it, you know, Jack did his due diligence. Uh, he looked at a lot of stuff here, and he he was very particularized in this. Um, a lot of stuff to talk about about the counts. You know, he's got his co-defendant, the body man, who uh, I think after tomorrow they're going to enter a no-contact order between those two, Trump and the body man, uh, Mr. Nauda, I believe. Yeah. So um, lots of stuff going on, but you know, the indictment, in my opinion, on its face without looking into it any further, which, of course, none of us would ever do right now. Of course, we're going to look into it, and we're going to see what kind of documents they are because we haven't seen them. Right. The indictment on its face, uh, it, it, it speaks well. It speaks well. But with that being said, there's a lot of legal defenses to be had, and uh, we have to see the documents, right? And we don't know what they are, and there's a lot of speculation about them. <laughs> and uh, the only thing I've ever been impressed about with Bill Barr, I've met him a couple times, uh, is the amount of hamburgers he can eat. Uh, so, so, so that, that's, that's need, really all I got. He, he, really needs, all I, he needs to get out in the sun more, too. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's all I got on Bill Barr. He can eat a lot of burgers. 
<laughs> Indeed. Chris, you have a question. Well, we're coming up on the break. I can wait. On oh, that. it's floating. We're going to take some time with it. Oh, okay. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, I was going to ask, you know, about these documents. We can't see them. I mean, they're right. supposedly highly sensitive and classified documents. How are we going to see them? Right. Uh, the only and how is a jury going to see them if they're not <laughs> cleared, right? I mean, doesn't this present a problem? Well, you know, having done over 100 jury trials, the jury is going to have to see them. Otherwise, there's no way for a jury to determine what they are, whether they are classified, top secret, where they are. And, and, and to be quite honest, whether they are presidential documents, I'm not sure if we'll get into it tonight later on, but there's the Bill Clinton case, the sock drawer case that everyone brings up with Judicial Watch. There is a, you know, there is a difference. I'm not sure how deep the dive you want to take tonight, but there is a difference between personal records and presidential records. Now, that's a key distinction between the Clinton case and the case we have here before us with Trump. Um, you know, and there's other things which we can talk about, which are a little off topic, but on topic as well, because we're not talking about this prosecution per se, because I know David just asked about the indictment, which, again, on its face is strong. Um, I think as time goes and we have discovery, there's going to be holes in this and the documents are going to be kept very secret. The jury, in my opinion, is going to have to see them in order to make that determination. And then they'll be sealed as evidence. So no one's going to see them outside of that. Um, so do we have an open and fair trial? That's for that's for David's listeners to decide. Um, that's for Mark Smith is, to tell us about later. I'm going to ask him about that. So I'm not going to jump <laughs> yeah, ahead. That's part yeah, of our conversation. Yeah. I'm going to go to yeah. a quick break. And when I come back, I'm going to I want to talk about uh, the raid at Mar-a-Lago. I don't want to talk about FBI procedure a little bit. So I'm going to go to Kyle and then Mark, sit tight, too, because I got to ask you where this thing is going. We know it's going to Supreme Court. Let's go to a quick break and we'll be right back. You guys do not go anywhere. Dave Paul, she'll be right back. I've come to talk with you again. Did you know that every 40 seconds, someone in the United States suffers a stroke? And every three minutes and 14 seconds, someone dies from a stroke. These statistics are staggering. But even more surprising is the fact that stroke can affect people of all ages, with one in seven stroke sufferers being younger than 49. The Scott Cooper Smith Stroke Awareness Foundation is on a mission to spread awareness about stroke in younger individuals. In 2009, Scott Cooper Smith passed away unexpectedly from a stroke at just 32 years old, leaving behind a wife and a child. The foundation was started in his memory to connect stroke sufferers with the resources they need to overcome this devastating condition. If you want to help young families struggling with the impact of stroke, consider making a donation to the Scott Cooper Smith Stroke Awareness Foundation. Together, we can make a difference in the lives of those affected by stroke. Visit strokeawarenessfoundation.org to learn more and donate today. That's strokeawarenessfoundation.org. Hey friends, David Pollock here. If you're craving the best soft serve ice cream around, Topper's Creamery's got you covered. Serving the Apopka community for over a decade, Topper's is known for the finest old-fashioned custard-style soft serve ice cream in a variety of flavors, from their French vanilla bean to exciting specials like German chocolate cake. But the experience doesn't end there. Be sure to grab a fresh baked waffle cone or a sundae topped with my favorite, the fresh baked brownies. They even offer pup cups for your four-legged friends. So hurry in to Topper's Creamery in Apopka, South 512 Hunt Club Road. Make sure to tell them David sent you. 
Now it's time for your Mortgage Minute, brought to you by the Joe Onofrey Mortgage Team. Hey guys, Joe Onofrey here. Have you been told you can't buy a home because you recently went from a W-2 wage position to 1099 or self-employed? With our non-traditional lending options, that simply isn't the case any longer. We can potentially use a bank statement loan program, which allows us to use your deposits into your bank account as your form of income. We can take it one step further and with enough of a down payment, we have programs that won't require verifying income at all. So why wait when you can buy your family's dream home today and not wait another year to qualify for traditional lending? Like what you hear? Let's chat more. Give me a ring at 407-720-8514 or contact me online at lenderjoe.com. NMLS ID number 147-3557. They'll say, okay, when it came to President Obama leaving or, you know, President Biden was vice president when some of these documents allegedly that he's got, that's a different question. But when you think about somebody like President Obama or President Clinton, the sock drawer case with President Clinton, they'll point to these and say, listen, there 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 are two big lies, I think, that are out there right now. One is, oh, these other presidents took all these documents. Those were situations where they arranged with the archives to set up special space under the management control and security provided by the archivist to temporarily put documents until the libraries were ready. These were not people just putting them in their basement. Okay, and the second thing that the president, this idea that 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 uh, the president has complete authority to declare any document personal is is obvious. It's facially ridiculous. That opinion had to do with the distinction between official records, which are records prepared by government agencies for the purpose of government action and personal documents as opposed to official documents, which are things prepared by the president, such as a diary or notes, which are not used in the government's uh, deliberations. And yes, as to the second class, stuff that the president himself generates, the president has some discretion, but these are official documents. It's inarguable. The president's daily brief provided by the intelligence community is not Donald J. Trump's personal document, period. There you go. So there's a hamburger bill uh, talking about how let's not pay attention to any of these other things that kind of, you know, discredit our entire investigation. Kyle, I want to go to you. Uh, you know, between the raid on Mar-a-Lago, what, what Bill Barr is saying, Hamburger Bar. If Trump uses that, by the way, I want credit on the David Pollack show. <laughs> Hamburger Bar. <laughs> uh, what's your take on this, Kyle, as far as the investigation goes? Is this dissimilar um, to some things in the past, specifically Hillary Clinton and her hammers and her bleach bit and Bill Clinton's sock drawer, which I don't even want to know what else is in there? Well, there's, there's plenty of similarities, but some of the similarities, um, you know, they cease when we start looking at the way that this was actually executed. We sent people from Washington, D.C. They flew down to Miami. There's a field office in Miami. There are FBI agents in Miami. They serve search warrants there in Miami. They can do that sort of thing up there. They can go to Miralago and call, you know, all you have to do is send a lead. You send over the, uh, the warrant and you say, go serve it. And my understanding is they actually use the hostage rescue team. I, I haven't been able to confirm that because the people that are on the SWAT team there in Miami that were also part of the clear, um, you know, we have a, we have a disconnect because they went and served a, the search warrant and, and I chose to do what I chose to do. So we don't have exactly a lot of open comms, but they sent people that were in my old office that sat in my old skip when I worked counterintelligence up in Washington, D.C. They sent them down to go do this search. 
And, you know, I know the guy who signed the receipt that said this is what we're taking and this is how we're going to leave with it. Uh, and Jeremy's a decent guy and he's a decent human being. But, but you have to look at you like you have your counterintelligence team coming in from Washington, D.C. And it, it's absolutely unlike anything that they would normally do. And we know it's so unlike it that we've actually see, seen uh, Steve D'Antuano come forward and say, I had an argument, you know, with the members of my staff. And I said, I don't think we should be doing this. We should go ask for consent, which they should do. You ask for consent anytime it's reasonable. And that would have been reasonable to do that. And they didn't go through that normal process. They flew people down out of a, you know, one what we call area of responsibility to another. It's so bizarre. And, and this is not the way FBI does business unless we've had six or seven years of investigating Donald Trump and somebody better come up with something, which is what it looks like. I want to talk about that a little bit because I've heard you talk about this on other Twitter spaces as well, about this idea of he could they didn't request consent. It is one of the kind of weirder things about, I mean, this is the former president of the United States surrounded by secret service in one of the most secured places in the world. And I know they try to make it seem in the indictment as if Mar-a-Lago is just like a Disney resort with people gallivanting around classified files. But you, nobody can just walk around Mar-a-Lago. There's secret service everywhere. And yeah, they're, they're supposed to protect the president, not the documents, but still nobody's just wandering around Mar-a-Lago regardless. So what about the fact that they didn't ask for a consent warrant? It's bizarre. And if the search warrant doesn't hold up when they start serving, uh, you know, the uh, the motions back and forth, then they're going to have things thrown out. They could have gotten that. Uh, they probably could have gotten consent in this. I, I think there's that's why you do it. You say, uh, you know, it's always better to ask first. You can always keep the warrant in your back pocket, which you can carry with you. But, uh, you know, nothing really went by the way that you would normally do this stuff. Like when you knock on a door, if somebody answers it, you know, they you, you ask him, hey, we, you know, we have the search warrant, but would you consent? It's, it's an easy thing to do. It costs you nothing. And particularly, this is, an, this is a situation unlike anything else. You know, everybody keeps talking about the historical nature because it's historical. There's never been right. a uh, former president that's had this experience. And, and that's not to say that there couldn't have had that situation based on, uh, you know, I don't, I don't agree with what Bill Barr said about this is totally different. And, uh, you know, these guys with the archivists and so on and so forth, but who cares where it's stored? The physical location, it was moved there by GSA, which is a government agency. All these boxes were packed by GSA. The idea that Trump packs, he doesn't even pack his own suitcase, if I had to guess. So you think he knows what was in all these boxes that are all these banker boxes that came out of the White House? I, I just don't buy it. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. You know what else is really interesting? They keep talking about what's in the classified documents, which is interesting for two reasons to me. One, because if it's classified and, and if any of these people have security clearances uh, and they're talking about still classified documents, they're particularly they're, they're, they're violating the law in and of themselves talking about what these classified documents may be. But they keep talking about these nuclear defense and our vulnerabilities. They almost want to make it seem as if and then there's that story floating around by the fake news that, oh, you know, maybe he's selling secrets to to like Saudi Arabia to have his golf club bought or some ridiculous thing. So, uh, you know, it, it's very interesting. That's one thing that I find interesting, the, that factor to talking about the, the confidential doc or the uh, the top secret documents. But that being said, the other thing is, um, if if President Trump did declassify them, this goes back to what um, I think Mark was saying before about the jury being able to see it. And I think this is what um, Chris mentioned. Um, well, they're not classified anymore. Why can't everybody see those documents now if they're declassified? Well, there's something really important yeah. in there. They talk about national defense stuff and, and national defense material doesn't have to be classified. That's part one. But the other thing is this, and it is also unusual. DOJ runs away from prosecutions on the regular when they don't want to declassify information. They would rather give up the case than burn sources and methods, particularly the sensitive technical sources that we have. And so they will oftentimes agree not to do prosecution. It's really important to note that. And it's very unusual that they decide to go through. It's, it's I would say, the exception that they decide to declassify documents to go after something. We let things slide all the time when I was in Washington, D.C., because they want to protect those, those sources and methods.
Yeah. Uh, Mark, I want to bring you in here, too. Sure. And, and the question I have for you and, and, and this is, you know, um, Mark Levin was was going on a, a rant about this and I didn't bring the audio because it goes on for like 15 minutes. But he was talking about the constitutional's protection against general warrants. And, you know, for listeners at home, essentially, our founders were not too keen on the government being able to just go rummaging through your personal belongings looking for a crime. And it seems like they've been doing that with Donald Trump from day one. They had the Mueller investigation when they were looking through all his stuff, hoping to find a crime. And uh, like um, crypto lawyer said at the beginning, throwing things at the wall to see what sticks. It seems here that the FBI has a general warrant to just walk through Mar-a-Lago, find some kind of crime, and then they're using these presidential records. What do you think about all this? I would argue in violation of his Fourth Amendment right. Well, yeah, we're going to get to that, too. Exactly. Absolutely. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, please. Go ahead, Mark. Well, I'm not sure, again, there's anything particularly wrong with the initial search warrant in terms of honest face. I think, you know, the commenters have made good points here, which is if you just read the documents in a vacuum, knowing no backstory, no information, nothing like that, they all appeared on their face to be legitimate and okay. But when you start to put these, you know, whether it be the search warrant, whether it be the way the Department of Justice has handled this, whether it be the, the indictment here, in the context, it starts to smell pretty bad as I see it. To begin with, first of all, although this is not a prerequisite for a crime in America, the reality is you have no victim here, right? So who has been hurt by this? There's no suggestion that President Trump has sold information to a foreign power, that he was a spy, that he did anything to undercut with these so-called documents that are related, and I agree the sort of the fuzzy language in this indictment about concerning and related to national security, we'll see what the documents are, but there's no suggestion that the nation was hurt in any respect. To me, that's the first question as to why, why are you indicting, setting this, un, this sort of crazy precedent when there doesn't appear to be any harm to what happened here, other than it seems to me that the archivist in Washington, or maybe the DOJ got their nose sort of knocked out of joint because they weren't happy with how President Trump was reacting to some of the requests. That's the first thing. The other thing that we have to keep in mind, and I know I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but still, when you are going to indict, and I'm sure our DOJ former lawyers and FBI agents know this quite well, before you indict someone, you really do look down the chessboard and say, what is the ultimate outcome here? Now, let me remind someone, let me remind everyone of 2005, when Sandy Berger, remember Sandy Berger, the Clinton National Security Advisor, who wound up pleading guilty to destroying, I believe, you know, classified information associated when he was with the Clinton administration. Remember all that? He was, as I, as I recall, the sentence was something like a $50,000 fine and like 100 hours of community service, and that was the end of it. And this is someone who had a much more serious charge than I see than what President Trump here. And yet, at the end of the day, what are they trying to do? They're trying to put President Trump in jail when you have these other incidents and other precedents that are on nearly as you know, that see the worst in many respects, and yet the penalty is pretty de minimis in the grand scheme of things. So to me, it just all smells. And, you know, the other interesting thing I'll leave you with this, David, is look at what was taken from Mar-a-Lago during the raid itself, right? According to all the, the, the receipts, as I understand, there was something like 25 or 26 boxes and storage units were taken. There was all these clothes taken. There was all these items taken. And of all this stuff, this whole gestalt of stuff that was taken from Mar-a-Lago on the raid, what did they come up with? They came up with apparently 31 documents that they yeah. felt comfortable, you know, fighting over in an indictment. Well, geez, um, you know, the, the percentage of what they got in the raid versus what they've indicted on. Well, you know, it's a pretty small percentage if you do the math. Absolutely. I'm going to a quick hard break. You guys do not go anywhere. Our panel is going to remain after the break. Dave Pollock show is coming right back. Finally, someone let me out of my cage. 
Are you an insurance agent or property manager looking for a reliable and accurate property inspection? Floridian Property Consultant specializes in citizens insurance packages and replacement cost appraisals so you can get bound quickly easily and accurately. FPC's experienced inspectors will make sure each assessment meets all the insurance carrier standards while ensuring that you don't pay for more than you need. Work with a company that respects your time and budget as much as you do. Visit online at FloridianPropertyConsultants.com. That's FloridianPropertyConsultants.com. Did you know that every 40 seconds, someone in the United States suffers a stroke? And every three minutes and 14 seconds, someone dies from a stroke. These statistics are staggering, but even more surprising is the fact that stroke can affect people of all ages, with one in seven stroke sufferers being younger than 49. The Scott Cooper Smith Stroke Awareness Foundation is on a mission to spread awareness about stroke in younger individuals. In 2009, Scott Cooper Smith passed away unexpectedly from a stroke at just 32 years old, leaving behind a wife and a child. The foundation was started in his memory to connect stroke sufferers with the resources they need to overcome this devastating condition. If you want to help young families struggling with the impact of stroke, consider making a donation to the Scott Cooper Smith Stroke Awareness Foundation. Together, we can make a difference in the lives of those affected by stroke. Visit strokeawarenessfoundation.org to learn more and donate today. That's strokeawarenessfoundation.org. David Pollack here. I hope you're enjoying the show. If you're looking for more information on any of our sponsors, or perhaps you want to hear a replay of a past show, make sure to visit the davidpollockshow.com. There you'll also find our latest articles, links to our social media, and opportunities to become a sponsor yourself. So remember to visit the davidpollockshow.com. Welcome back to the David Pollock Show. I always joke, the best soundtrack in talk radio. It could be true, it could not be true, but I don't think they, they score those sort of things. So if I'm saying it... Se- second best. Okay, fine. <laughs> second to the American adversaries right here. <laughs> but a close second. Yeah, close second. I learned from the best. <laughs> Man, uh, we, are, we have a nonstop exciting show for you. My panel still joins me. And I, now we're going to shift gears a little bit and talk about something kind of important here. Because look, Whatever. Trump's been indicted here in New York, indicted here federally. Now, probably Georgia or wherever else they can indict him on things. We all know where this is heading. This is heading to the United States Supreme Court, which is why the Democrats about a month ago, knowing all this was coming, were really keen on trying to delegitimize the Supreme Court. But unfortunately for them, there was some rulings that conservatives weren't happy about. Now, all of a sudden, the Supreme Court's legitimate again. Um, But, uh, you know, this is that's where it's going. This this is an interesting I mean, look, for lawyers, I'm a lawyer and for the and for the other lawyers on the show, uh, this is fascinating from a legal standpoint, from American history students. This is fascinating. I mean, it's also terrifying. But I mean, this stuff, we're going to be talking about this forever. You're going to be learning about it in law school forever. This stuff is landmark stuff. But there's a really important question here. And that is, can a former president, especially one like Donald Trump, the reason why this has never happened before is because can a former president even get a fair trial? Because think about it. No matter who's on the jury, whether it's in Miami or Albuquerque or Alaska or Antarctica, I don't know how I named all those places very quickly. Um, it, the jury's going to know who Donald Trump is. My eight-year-old knows who Donald Trump My eight-year-old comes home from school 
and says like they were arguing about Donald Trump in class. Some kids like him, some kids don't. And um, of course, I tell my kids never take a position in school because it's dangerous. Um, but everybody knows who Donald Trump is. There's no way there's going to be an impartial juror. And if there is, they're lying. Even even the judge, they're going after the judge here. They're already saying, oh, I don't know if she can be partial because she's impartial. I'm sorry. I don't know if she could be impartial because Trump appointed her. Well, what are you going to do? Find a judge that either Trump didn't appoint or Republican didn't appoint or a Democrat appointed or one who may or may not like Trump. How do you find a judge that's impartial, a jury that's impartial? And and so I'm interested, Mark, to get your opinion on this. I mean, my opinion is I don't think Trump's Sixth Amendment rights can be protected. He has a right to an impartial jury. I don't think he can find one. I don't think the Fifth Amendment can be met here. I don't think he has the right to life, liberty, or property without due process, due process of law. Because how can you call this due process? We have irregular FBI investigations. We have weird, <laughs> all kinds of weird judicial things. I mean, how many states can you try a president in? Like, do you go to a state like Washington, D.C., that's 98% Democrat, and you try him there next? I mean, how there has, the, the framers couldn't have imagined political opponents locking up uh, being locked up by their political rivals. So we're entering strange territory here, and the Supreme Court is going to have to make some decisions on this. It's going to be uh, groundbreaking. And I'll say this, no matter what the outcome, Republicans, if he's convicted, are going to say it was it was an unfair trial. If he's acquitted, Democrats are going to say it's an unfair trial. And they're going to keep trying him in all these different states. We have to figure this out. Mark, let me go to you first. Uh, constitutionally, do you think this can even happen to a former president? What, what do we got to talk about here? Well, yeah, cer certainly constitutionally, legally, a former president can be indicted for a crime that he commits after he leaves office. I think that that is a clear answer. Yes, the question is, can he get a, um, you know, a impartial jury? The answer is yes, conceptually, sure, because that is the purpose of Wadir. Now, of course, you know, the justice system is not a perfect system. There is no perfect system in this world of any sort. Uh, but yeah, I do think that, you know, if the juror, if the lawyers do the, their job and the judge does their job to try as best they can to minimize any partiality from coming into the selection of the jury, uh, well, that's as good as you're going to get in the system. Now, will the Supreme Court get involved? Here's the harsh reality. The United States Supreme Court does not like to get involved in a case until it's all over, because what they decide is so precedential and so many people are watching it's so important. So they really do like it in a perfect world for cases to be tried to a finish, resolved, all the issues you know decided, all the appellate uh, appeals exhausted. So when the case comes to the Supreme Court, they have the benefit of all the knowledge and all the information from amici briefs from the arguments on both sides, from the district court judge, from the magistrate judges, from the court of appeals, whatever it is, uh, they really like to weigh in the last when all the information in the record is as complete as it can possibly be. And as a consequence of that, David, I think the reality is that the Supreme Court's not going to weigh in in any material way, even if there's a legitimate reason for them to do so, until far into the future and likely after the next presidential election, and almost certainly, as I see it, after the Republicans have selected their, you know, who's going to run against Joe Biden, presumably, who is going to be their candidate. So this is really unfair, not just to President Trump, as I see it. It's unfair to the entire Republican primary process, because now rather than, you know, the process being like who should be representing the Republican values, who should be our pick, who can be Joe Biden, these sorts of things, every Everyone is spending time talking about this indictment and Donald Trump. And, of course, that is a distraction, as I see it, 
from uh, from what the Republican primary season should be all about. So I think there's a lot of victims here in the political space. And I don't think this was missed when the indictment was filed, as my guess. I, thought, I think uh, someone thought this through carefully and decided, hey, we're going to do it anyway. Um, the, the, you're you're the prosecutor, right? The federal prosecutor. It, is, 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 Mark is Mark is the constitutional attorney. Okay. Um, the the prosecutor is crypto lawyer. Okay, all right. Uh, maybe for the prosecutor for the uh, for the constitutional lawyer here, uh, it, it seems to me that this case is going to have so many issues that it probably won't go to trial if it ever does before the election, and then the election occurs. And presumably, either Donald Trump is going to be the nominee or not. Should he get elected? Can he end it himself? And and shouldn't he? Well, if he becomes the president of the United States again, if Donald Trump becomes the next president, then I'm not aware of a reason why he could not pardon himself. I mean, I think there is a debate about that. But at the end of the day, if he pardons himself, uh, how would the fight even take place? Because remember, there's no right without a remedy. So even if he disagreed with President Trump in the future, pardoning President Trump, uh, I'm not sure there would be a mechanism whereby one could override that. I don't think the Supreme Court would do that because it speaks directly to what's known as a political question, which is a political question for everyone listening, is that is a question where there's a legitimate constitutional dispute, but because it touches so much on politics, the courts will not, won't decide it. They'll say, look, there's a constitutional question here, but we, the courts, are not going to decide it because we feel the political branches need to deal with this. And if Donald Trump were to pardon himself, I think that would be viewed as a political question. I think the courts would say, oh, you know, we're not going to get him, get involved with this. We're going to let that go. And whatever happens, happens. I don't think they would overturn that or reject Trump's attempt to do that or his decision to pardon himself. I think that would stand. Well, to, perhaps to your other guest uh, here, David, the question would be, and I've proposed this on my radio show, that Donald Trump, should he get elected, should pardon Joe Biden. I mean, our country can't survive this this criminalization of our politics on either side of the aisle, from the way I look at it. Am I wrong? So, David, this is crypto. Yep. Let me ask you guys a question. Um, Donald Trump, when he was running, spoke about Hillary, right? And he said, you could be in jail. Remember that, that soundbite that he said yeah. when... Right, so... What Donald Trump did, though, is exactly what Joe Biden, sorry, what Donald Trump did not do is exactly what Joe Biden is doing. So he could have done all this. He could have gone after Joe Biden. He, you know, there's a there's a million things we can talk about, about Joe Biden, about Hillary Clinton, about what Comey said. By the way, Comey doesn't decide who charges and who doesn't charge. He he merely brings the charges to us AUSAs and we decide to prosecute. There's a million things. But Donald Trump never crossed that line. Joe Biden did. So here's the question I have back. Does does Donald Trump, if he's elected, does he pardon himself and then burn it down? And when I say burn it down, does he go after Biden? Does he go after Hunter? Does he go after Hillary by any chance? Or does he turn a blind eye? I don't see how Donald Trump, after these two indictments, the one coming in Georgia and then possibly a J6, another one coming in D.C., I don't see how if Donald Trump gets elected, how he doesn't turn the cards. Now, does that end everything for our democracy and what we stand for? Possibly. But if he gets in, does he really just say, thank you guys and go on with the day? Yeah, that, you know, I thought about that. I, I, there are certain people who have a negative, uh, you know, view of Trump who think he is going to burn it all down. But I think you answered your question with your question. Um, and that is when he was president the first time, 
uh, he didn't do that. He said, uh, lock up Hillary Clinton, but didn't. A lot of Trump supporters were upset that he didn't lock up Hillary Clinton. You didn't keep your promise. Um, But you're right. He believe he puts America first above politics. Trump always put America first. So, no, I don't think he's going to put Hunter Biden in jail or put uh, Hillary Clinton in jail or all these people that deserve to go to jail. Because think about it. What would it do? It would just be a boomerang. And it's not going to make us any safer on the global stage. It's not going to make China less threatening to Taiwan. It's not going to make Russia pull out of Ukraine. It's not going to make Saudis lower the price of oil. There is nothing that putting uh, Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton in jail going to do to make America better. And, And Donald Trump has never done anything to hurt the country. Everything he's done, even even in, at his own detriment, was been it was been to better the country. He even appointed people in his own administration that probably weren't big Donald Trump fans to try to unify the establishment, trying to be like, you have a role in this. And what did they do? They stabbed him in the back. Hamburger bar uh, being one of them. Where did I call him? Hamburger Bill being one of them. So, right. uh, so uh, yeah, I, I don't think he's going to burn it all down. I do think He's going to fire every single person in charge of every single investigative agency, and rightfully so. I mean, if you have taken our our intelligence apparatus and you have used it to weaponize it and to be used against our political system, what you're doing is you're threatening our entire institution. You're threatening our republic, and you don't deserve to serve the public because you're not doing what needs to be done. That's what I think. Kyle, what do you think about that? Do you think Donald Trump's going to go and— throw everybody in jail or do you think he's going to uh, lead when he gets reelected? I don't think he'll throw everybody in jail. I mean, we've already seen that he didn't do that sort of thing. I think you got to separate the, uh, the Trump mouth and the Trump action, right? right. Uh, the actions are, are much more restrained. As you mentioned, I think that they actually are a good job. If we had just Trump policy and Trump actions, uh, I don't think he would have the disconnect with people like suburban women because the Trump mouth gets in the way of that. And that's just his nature. That's just the way he is. You know, I got friends from New York. That's kind of how they sound. They're a lot of talk. They're blustery. They're funny. Uh, they're very comical when they do that stuff. But that's off-putting to certain people. Uh, what he really needs to do, if he did get in, get back into office, is, is go ahead and reinstitute Schedule F like Foxtrot, the, uh, the the job classification that would allow him to remove the administrative state. And the administrative state are all these deep-seated bureaucrats that have been there for you know multiple administrations. They all outlast presidents. They all know they outlast presidents, and they fear no president. And so they think the agencies belong to them. And these are executive agencies that theoretically go to answer to the CEO of the United States, which is the, the president. You know, people always say that it's like it's um, it's Trump's DOJ or it's Biden's DOJ. Saying that is kind of like talking about the CEO of Walmart, knowing what's going on with the branch manager in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Like the CEOs know what's going on there. They set policies. They set out some ideas. And then the branch managers are going to do what they do. And all these different agencies have a ton of autonomous time. Because no one has the ability to focus on what all of them are doing. I would say uh, in very candid form, DOJ and FBI need a lot more attention than they've been getting because they are off the rails and they have no guardrails that are keeping them away from the American public. But, you know, what's going on in the Commerce Department? Like, are they watching that every single day? No, nobody knows. Like, it's just they're doing the job they're supposed to do unless they get in trouble and they run afoul or unless they run totally contrary to a president's orders, and then we start hearing about it. But generally speaking, these people do get to operate autonomously, and they should have the ability at least to be removed from the accepted service. All right. Well, I'm going to go to a quick break, everybody, and then uh, we have our final segment coming up here. Um, uh, When we come back, we're going to talk about how this impacts uh, Donald Trump's chances of being reelected. Hint. Uh, it's not hurting him just one bit. So stick around. Uh, if you guys want to call in, I'm going to give you the number just after the break. So don't go anywhere. Dave Pollock will be right back. Heck. Okay. 
With today's economic environment, it's never been more important to secure your hard-earned wealth for you and your family's future. FinSec Life works to offer industry-leading customer service to help successful individuals and businesses protect their wealth. Whether it's a business succession plan, estate liquidity, or a variety of life and long-term care policies, FinSec Life can help deliver peace of mind, knowing that if something happens, you or your company is taken care of. Visit FinSecLife.com. That's F-I-N-S-E-C Life.com. Securities offered through Valmark Security, Inc., member FINRA, and SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Valmark Advisors, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. FinSec Life is a separate entity from Valmark Securities, Inc. and Valmark Advisors, Inc. Hey, friends. David Pollock here. If you're craving the best soft-serve ice cream around, Topper's Creamery's got you covered. Serving the Apopka community for over a decade, Topper's is known for the finest old-fashioned custard-style soft-serve ice cream in a variety of flavors, from their French vanilla bean to exciting specials like German chocolate cake. But the experience doesn't end there. Be sure to grab a fresh-baked waffle cone or a sundae topped with my favorite, the fresh-baked brownies. They even offer pup cups for your four-legged friends. So hurry in to Topper's Creamery in Apopka, South 512 Hunt Club Road. Make sure to tell them David sent you. David Pollock here. I hope you're enjoying the show. If you're looking for more information on any of our sponsors, or perhaps you want to hear a replay of a past show, make sure to visit thedavidpollockshow.com. There, you'll also find our latest articles, links to our social media, and opportunities to become a sponsor yourself. So remember to visit thedavidpollockshow.com. I got my first real six string, it out the five and done. Played it till my fingers bled Was the summer of 69 Sometimes I just sit and listen to the music. Yeah, I have Chris Hart admitting this This is a good song. So <laughs> Good bumps. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> Welcome back to the final segment of the David Pollock Show. The number to call in if you want to be part of the show is 407-774-8255. It's 407-774-8255. Uh, the phones are full, but if you call, you might get on. So try your best if you want to be part of the show. Hey, before I move into uh, how this uh, all the indictments are helping uh, Donald Trump's reelection, I, I, Mark, I wanted to ask you a quick question. You mentioned that the Supreme Court I uh, wasn't going to touch this. for, and, and I agree that there's a lot of reasons that they would want to stay away from it. But what about the fact that there's potentially an election interference type issue here? I mean, if we wait, and like you already mentioned, if we wait until the election is over um, and it impacts the election, I mean, th- this is kind of a big deal. How do we let these, because they'll just keep coming. They'll keep coming. Georgia's next. Who knows where else they'll charge them? Because honestly, they can just make up stuff in any one of these states. Uh, how does the Supreme Court not intervene and at least put an injunction on the investigations until after the election? Because there will be irreparable harm. This is like emergency injunction stuff, isn't it? I think the problem from the Supreme Court's point of view is that so many of these issues are very fact-specific. And um, as, you know, your commentators have said so eloquently on the show, the documents that we're talking about on their face pass the smell test. So in order to really get into what's going on here, there has to be some sort of factual development of what's going on. What are these documents, for example? Who said what, when? 
um, what was the context? And in order to get there, there has to be some sort of trial or fact finding. And I think if the Supreme Court is just not going to be in a position to act because they're going to be like, look, we don't know the facts yet. You got to figure out the facts. We have to have factual finding by a jury or someone before we can really get involved. And I think as a practical matter, even if the Supreme Court wanted to get involved, I just don't know how they can do it because they're just not going to have sufficient information in front of them to make informed decisions on a lot of these very tricky questions because it's not just a legal question. It's also fact and legal together. And that's where I think as an institution, the Supreme Court is going to have a problem getting involved because the factual development just has not taken place. And that takes time. Uh, and I fear as a practical matter, you know, before the facts are established, we're going to be looking in the year 2024 at some point. But if we if we have to take the carrot away from the people who want to misuse the justices, it's not like like there's some imminent threat. It's not like they're going to be putting Trump in jail. It's not like any of this is going to change, whether it's a year from now or or two years from now. So why not? put a stay on all prosecutions in all of these matters. And maybe we need to pass a, maybe the Congress needs to act, but maybe they need to pass a law that says if somebody is running for president and and you can put certain like thresholds, then prosecutions, except for like murder or crazy things like this or violent crimes, maybe all prosecutions should be put on hold until after the election. Maybe this is something we need to be talking about at the, uh, in Congress. I'll ask you crypto lawyer. What do you think about that? Um, you know, I like the idea, but I don't see it practically, um, getting in there. I mean, you know, there's this whole distinction, which I think Mark was talking about, which, and I think you also brought up as well, which, you know, the, you know, the politics of it of, well, you know, can Trump pardon himself? I think you're having an issue here with the Supreme Court on whether or not they're going to get in on an election year and if they're going to say, um, any court proceedings during this time. Now, you know, there's been other lawyers out there that have said this case is going to go in the spring or summer. I personally don't see that. In federal court, you, you know, if anyone's practiced there, you tend to have the rocket docket. Uh, Donald Trump is not your normal ABC defendant, right? And he's going to waste speedy trial. Um, tomorrow, I anticipate that DOJ is going to move for pretrial detention. They're not going to be successful on that. If they are, that would be absolutely shocking. Um, I think they're going to save that for, you know, possibly their D.C. indictment with J6 if that comes down, because we know this isn't the last one. Um, But I think the Supreme Court getting in or any other courts getting in to stay during an election year, um, I think they're going to I think they're going to use other methods and mechanics at their disposal, such as the waiver of speedy trial and such as Judge Cannon. Judge Cannon knows this case very well. And by the way, for people listening tonight, Donald Trump, you know, just because somebody puts on a robe, and I'll make this quick because I know we have to wrap. Just because somebody puts on a robe does not take away their biases, prejudices, and their political beliefs. Judge Cannon was appointed by Trump, one of the last ones that Trump appointed. She's brilliant. She's conservative on the bench. I've practiced before her many times, very recently as well. She is a good judge. She knows the case inside and out. She knows she called out DOJ during a search warrant. And if we have time, I want to circle back to Mark David. If we have time, because the search warrant, and this is for Kyle too, the search warrant, attachment B, that talks about what the FBI was going in to get, on its face to me, is not particularized. And I don't like it. I've done more search warrants than I can count. And attachment B, which describes what boxes and where they are and what they want to take, is as vague as possibly could be. It is the opposite of the indictment. So I, 
I am very curious on a motion to suppress what's going to happen if these documents make it through. Because remember, DOJ, without the documents, has no case. So kind of threw a lot of things in there, but would love to hear Mark on that if we have time. Yeah, go ahead, Mark. I think that's right. I think if they're if the if if the motion to dismiss on the grounds that the search warrant was not properly granted or was a general warrant and not specific enough, if that's dismissed, well, yeah, I think all those documents get well, they get suppressed. But keep in mind there are independent counts, and this is probably why DOJ threw them in there. There are independent counts about lying to the FBI in this investigation. So even if you get rid of all the documents, there is still. I think the danger of this indictment associated with lying to the FBI, to lying to the DOJ. And I don't think those necessarily go away if all the documents go away. But I'd be curious to see if the other commentators have a different view. Kyle, what do you think? I'll I'll tell you what. um, 1001 charges, the false statements sort of uh, statute, like that was always taught at the FBI Academy that that is not a standalone charge. It doesn't have enough merit to stand on its own and stand up in court. It was always like a, an add-on charge. It was always an also-ran, and it was something that you could use as muscle to, to flee in. But it was not a standalone felony charge. So I, I don't know if those stand on their own. And I tend to agree with what the Crippo just said as far as the, the broadness of what the, uh, the search warrant said. It, it's troubling because it's an incredibly long period of time that they're looking for, and they are looking for literally anything. I mean, that's, that's, that's about as general as you get regarding what they're talking about, which are you know, records that were obtained during his presidency. And so I, I have got a problem with it, just the way that it was written. I've always had a problem with this. I always thought it was it was a sketchy move on their end. The fact that they've chosen to, to step outside the way the FBI normally operates is also sketchy. And it doesn't it doesn't leave you on firm legal ground, because all you need to do is start asking these agents, hey, have you ever done anything like this before? No. Why not? That's, that seems like it's really straightforward that when you when you put them to the test, can they actually say that this is the way that we do business? And the answer is always going to be no. On almost every one of these things, including the counts, even the fact that they, they chose to, if they choose to, um, to declassify these documents, which are, are highly sensitive based on the fact that they're, they're TSSDI, they're different compartments in there. So those are some of the sources and methods that the, the government is, is very, very reluctant to give up. So, yeah, this is all the pretrial detention thing that that I'm I'm still stuck on that crypto. The idea that could you imagine if they did a pretrial detention on on the leading candidate for the Republican nomination and former president of the United States? I I can't even imagine them even asking for it. But you're right. They will. But let's talk about the fact that Trump and I got three minutes left on this show. But let's talk about the fact that Trump is the leading candidate, even with all of these things going on now with this indictment. This is CBS News. Trump posts the biggest lead yet over DeSantis. Trump at 61% plus 38. DeSantis at 23. Uh, Tim Scott at 4%. Pence at 4%, which surprises me it's that high. Nikki Haley at 3%, and the rest of them sharing 1%. Now, the more people that get into this race, and they're they're hopping in every day, all they're going to do, in my opinion, is dilute the never-Trump vote and make DeSantis' chances of winning, winning the nomination go down even more. I think DeSantis is really hoping they'd lock uh, Trump up. And I think that's why he's in this race. I think he's just the, uh, the establishment's bench uh, if, if Trump doesn't go anywhere. But, you know, of course, <laughs> if Trump's, I mean, if DeSantis is a nominee, I'm voting for him. But even now, it's a CBS poll. Another one's 80% of GOP voters say uh, Trump should be president, even if, even if convicted. So maybe he pardons himself. And I want to put up one more uh, talking point here for you guys to discuss in the last two minutes of the show. Eric Holder has already said that a Trump conviction could lead to an impeachment and removal from office, even if he's elected, which is interesting. That's true. If he wins, 
and he tries to pardon himself, they can impeach him. And so we have that to look forward to. So in two minutes, I'm going to go around the table. Actually, in one minute, I'm going to go around the table. Um, Kyle, uh, Crypto, I'm going to go to you first. What say you? Well, I don't take much credence from a guy who still has a contempt charge out from Congress with Eric Holder. So um, if anyone wants to go and pick up Eric Holder and bring him in, that would be great. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, really quick, um, can, you know, can he pardon himself? I think Mark said that's debatable. I think he can. Uh, will they move to impeach him? Possibly, possibly not. But I think I think he'll get the pardon through in time. But again, someone like Eric Holder with Fast and Furious and continuing contempt charges, which, by the way, other people like Bannon have been brought before court on that. I don't take a lot of what Eric Holder says at face value. All right, Kyle, 30 seconds. Yeah, I think Americans don't like unfairness. I think they don't like seeing that the process is being weaponized. They don't want to have any of those things, and they don't want to be party to it. So even my brother, who's a lefty who lives out in L.A., is like, man, we need a we need a Republican in office, whoever that is, because my bank account's looking bad, and so is my retirement. So there's that. <laughs> yeah. All right, Mark, 30 seconds. Close this out. If Trump, if Trump's the president, then we're going to have the Republicans will have the House and the Senate, and an impeachment will be a moot point. Won't happen if Trump's president. All right. That was better than 30 seconds. Well, guys, thank you so much for being on the show. Real quick, I just want to let all of our listeners know where they can find everybody. If they want to go to uh, at Crypto Lawyers with a Z, you can listen to some of the best Twitter spaces I hear. Um, if you want to go to the Kyle, uh, I, I forgot your last name. Help me. <laughs> Sh- Serapin. Yes. If you want to go to the Kyle Serapin show, um, that's his podcast. He's, he has tons of useful and great information. And then Mark Smith, check out his book, Disarming Ukraine, and his uh, podcast, Four Boxes Diner. Uh, thank you so much for everybody being on the show. Great discussion. And uh, you guys, we're here every Monday night at 7 p.m., Exciting as always. Thank you so much to Chris Hart for joining me in the studio from the American Adversaries. Listen to his show on every day of the week, five to seven o'clock, and on weekends. Yep. So, you guys, thank you so much for tuning in. You're the best part of the David Pollock show. Tune in here next week, and uh, thanks for listening. Former President Donald Trump is in Florida ahead of a history-making federal court appearance.